Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Reversal of Roe v. Wade, the landmark 1973 Supreme Court judgment that made abortion a constitutional right, has created a debate within the Muslim community. Much of this has centred on support for pro-life or pro-choice positions, binaries that reflect a liberal and conservative worldview, not an Islamic one. Too many Muslims either regurgitate liberal talking points or conservative dogma without first reflecting upon Islam. Today I want to look beyond these stifling discussion points, to look at the medical, social and political implications as well as to get to grips with Islamic scholarly discourse on the issue of abortion. I ask my guests today, all three distinguished in their fields, to take a deeper look at the issues arising from the revocation of abortion as a constitutional right. What exactly is the position of the Sharia regarding abortion? What did the classical scholars say about the issue? And is there a difference with more modern takes? How do we appreciate the political context of the Supreme Court decision? And what are the social repercussions? All my guests have a rich background and expertise, and as you know, this podcast wants to move our thinking away from the ill-informed Vox Pop-style contributions everyone seems to want to make without the depth of study required. Dr. Tehseen Sharif is a US-based physician specializing in internal medicine. She started two Islamic schools in her home state, California, delivers Islamic circles to women, and is currently pursuing an Alamiya degree on top of her busy clinical responsibilities. Iyad Hilal is an author of an acclaimed book on Usul al-Fiqh and regular Friday Khatib at mosques in California. Dr. Tahseen Sharif, can I start with you first? Uh, can you please explain to our listeners what this Supreme Court judgment really means? With the overturning of Roe versus Wade, some states are going to be unaffected regarding the right to abortion. Other states will make it illegal to have an abortion. Um, if we look back at 1973 with Roe versus Wade, what happened was it became a constitutional right for a woman to be able to get an abortion before her fetus is uh, viable. So it was ruled that during the first trimester, uh, the right to terminate a pregnancy is a woman's choice. 
and it would be unconstitutional to ban her from obtaining access to abortion in any state, but states could still regulate abortion or outlaw them beyond the first trimester. So with a conservative Supreme Court in place, what happened was Roe versus Wade got overturned after 49 years. So now the issue of whether an abortion is legal or illegal fell into the hands of the state, and it is no longer a constitutionally protected right. So in 16 states, such as California, New York, New Jersey, as well as the District of Columbia, um, women will still be able to access abortion and, and they will have the right to do so without any consequence. And in fact, more policies are being put into place to give access to constituents in these states. But however, uh, however when it was leaked in uh, May by Politico that this decision of Roe versus Wade will probably be overturned, uh, many states jumped to um, planning more restrictions and putting more laws into place and bringing back previous laws that had been in place regarding abortion. So, for example, on May 26th in the state of Oklahoma, the governor signed stricter laws that would ban abortion at the point of fertilization. Uh, that's at the stage of the nutfa. Of course, there are still few exceptions where the woman's life would be in danger or uh, she would have a drastic effect on her health. Um, and in the state of Oklahoma, they're allowing other citizens to report anyone who gets a, an abortion or who performs an abortion. So doctors would be threatened with felonies and women would be criminalized um, for abortions. The state of Texas actually offered a $10,000 reward for reporting anyone who's suspected of seeking, obtaining, helping, or performing abor abortions. So it becomes very difficult uh, with these kinds of restrictions. And one of the concerns is that beyond just illegalizing abortion, that laws may then be sought to ban birth control that prevents implantation, the stage at, of the alaqa where the, the, the fertilized egg will then implant um, into the uterus. So it would get very difficult uh, for people who want to see unrestricted birth control and be able to have access to abortions. Of course, anyone who's living in a state where abortion is illegal can always go to a state where it is legal, uh, of course, but that would mean that it's uh, going to take a lot more resources, it would be more expensive, it would be inconvenient. Uh, online medications, which allow for medical abortions, would still be available, but the problem is if states now start making it illegal to travel to another state to get an abortion or to order medications online to get a medical abortion, uh, that would also make it very difficult. Yet we do know human beings always find a way around the law. So uh, we have yet to see how this is all going to play out. It seems to me that within the Muslim community, there are two perspectives on abortion. Some see it as an enabler to a permissive society and others a genuine health tool. From your experience as a doctor of some 29 years, where do you stand on this and why are women in the United States having abortions generally? Um, both perspectives are actually correct. Yes, abortions do enable a permissive society. And yes, abortions are a genuine health tool. So if you look at the first perspective, um, you see that when abortion was legalized, what happened was there was an increase in um, sexual activity accompanied by an increase in the rate of um, STDs. And CDC data does show 
that the incidence of sexually transmitted diseases uh, had a positive correlation with the legalization of abortion. If you look at data from 2019, 86% of all abortions that were performed were on unmarried women. And in general, 25% of unmarried women got abortions that year, and 4% of married women got abortions. And also in 2019, 34% of the women who were getting abortions had one to two prior abortions. Uh, the perspective that uh, abortions are a genuine health tool is um, very important to discuss because there are real situ serious situations in which a woman may lose her life um, due to her pregnancy. So for example, if a woman has developed cancer right before pregnancy or during pregnancy, if she does not get the health care that she needs and the treatment that she needs, she may die from her cancer. So she may have to resort to an abortion in that situation. There are also health conditions such as eclampsia, preeclampsia, which elevate the blood pressure and lead to morbidity and mortality uh, in the pregnant female, and uh, severe heart disease uh, such as cardiomyopathy, in which the heart may be too weak to endure pregnancy and delivery, um, may result in um, an, uh, the need for an abortion. Ectopic pregnancies in which the fetus is growing outside the uterus is another example, um, as well as if the water breaks too early, uh, a female can get a very serious infection in her uterus, which can then spread to her blood, known as sepsis, and she can actually die from that. Aside from a, a mother's health and, and, and uh, mortality, we also have to remember that the, the baby itself may have conditions uh, which may necessitate an abortion. For example, uh, anencephaly, in which uh, um, a baby may not have a well-developed brain or you have an incomplete skull. Um, these babies um, may result in stillbirth or may only survive um, a couple of hours after um, delivery. Um, you also have a condition such as trisomy 13, in which you have an extra uh, chromosome 13, which again, um, the babies may not survive beyond a month or a year, in some cases, maybe a few years. So situations such as this would necessitate uh, getting an abortion um, for the purpose of, you know, the, the, the mother or for uh, the sake of a, a child that's uh, severely malformed. Um, as for my own experience, um, having done uh, medicine in a clinic for about 30 years now. Uh, a few of those years were in a community health clinic where women would come in um, for referrals uh, for the sake of uh, an abortion. Um, I think the my experience has been that mostly the, the abortions were being sought for reasons similar to what's out there in, uh, in data uh, for, for America, in which case most cases of uh, abortions that were sought were for uh, women who were unmarried and didn't want to have a child at that point in their life. Um, there were also cases of women who didn't want to have children because it would interfere with their uh, education or their pursuit of their career. Um, so they didn't uh, want to go through with the, with the pregnancy. Uh, there are some cases as well of women who were done having children and they were already so busy and they could not handle having another child and again, there were cases where uh, women for financial reasons didn't want to have any more children. So I think that what we find in data is reflective in my own practice of um, why women get abortions.
If I may pick up on the last point you've mentioned there, there is a fair sense more acutely within the liberal pro-choice lobby that women may die as a result of the move to devolve abortion from federal level to a state level. Uh, You've said that uh, these states are going to make it very difficult to get abortions and this may impact the life of women who face medical difficulties. Is this your reading of the new measures? Unsafe abortion is certainly a serious concern. Um, And of course, this is more the case uh, in countries that have inadequate medical facilities. But in America, I think there's been so much hype and false representation when discussing unsafe abortions. Uh, You've had pictures painted of back alley butchers on sanitary abortions. Um, That was inaccurate. Um, They've even had reports that five to 10,000 deaths were occurring per year due to illegal abortions. And this is entirely incorrect. If you look at CDC data, there was definitely a real problem before 1942 when we didn't have penicillin and sulfa antibiotics available. And there were um, quite a few deaths occurring because of uncontrolled infection. But the data that is 10 years before Roe v. Wade shows that there were 90 to 150 deaths per year from illegal abortion. Um, again, the data is uh, an approximation, but this is the best that we've got. And in 1972, the year right before Roe v. Wade, when abortion was legalized, they reported 24 deaths from legal abortions versus 39 from illegal abortion. So we don't want to trivialize um, you know, the loss of even one life because life is human life is valuable, but but definitely we have to be cautious in in um, stating how many deaths have been occurring from illegal abortion, and we do worry that if abortion is not accessible to some women, they may resort to unsafe uh, abortions. Unfortunately, one um, thing to consider also is that now we have what's called medical abortion, where you can literally order online. Uh, a couple of pills and take those in order to have an abortion. Um, Of course, that needs some monitoring and you have to be careful for some bad outcomes from that. But um, this option has reduced the surgical risk that was involved um, in the past for having abortion. Now, we're going to hear from uh, Ustad Iyad Hilal in a second about uh, the Islamic opinions on abortion. But we know that there is a consensus But if the mother's life is at risk, then uh, this procedure is valid uh, at any point, actually, in the pregnancy. Uh, How common is this one issue that uh, women who seek abortions in the United States do so because their life is at risk as a result of a a risk in her pregnancy? When we look at the uh, issue of a mother's life being at risk and the rate at which abortions occur uh, for that risk, uh, I think it's good to look at the uh, state of Florida as a case study because Florida is a state that actually records the reason for abortion and it will reflect what's happening in America. Uh, if you look at data from 2020, Florida had 74,868 abortions, out of which 74.9% were elective for no reason. Specifically looking at a woman's health and her life, 0.2% um, were where the woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy and 1.48% is where the woman's physical health was threatened by the pregnancy. So um, that's important to know that it's not a very large percentage. 
um, 0.98% of the abortions were for serious fetal abnormality, 0.01% for incest, and 0.15% for rape. But at the same time, we need to make sure we clarify that while 1.48 and 0.2 don't seem to be very high percentages, when you translate this to a population um, in which maybe you have 1 million abortion for the year, um, that would the 1.48 translates to 14,800 women who would potentially lose their life or have their health seriously affected by pregnancy. So it is significant. So we cannot disregard uh, situations in, a woman in, in which a woman may need to have an abortion for her own safety and her own health. Um, so alhamdulillah that Islam has in place this provision in which we are allowed to have an abortion when the woman's life is in danger. So I think that while it's not very common, it is a, still a significant number. Oh, that's really, really revealing. Uh, do you see yourself in favor of the reversal of Roe v. Wade? Honestly, I can't answer this question with a mere yes or no. And nor do I feel any one of us should answer it that way because there are a lot of factors to consider and it's not a black and white issue. On the one hand, the reversal can be considered a win. And on the other hand, it can be seen as a loss in some ways. It's a win because it will help deter the large number of abortions that are performed for pregnancies that are the result of illicit sexual relationships. It will quite probably reduce the incidence of sexually transmitted diseases. As we know, there is a positive correlation between legalizing abortion and the rate of STDs. And it is a loss in some ways because adding barriers to accessing abortions for medically necessary cases uh, will be a problem. Um, it's restricting the mubah for women. It also creates problems for the lower income group because they're more likely to be criminalized and more likely to resort to unsafe abortions. There are more chances in the lower socioeconomic groups for an increase in single-parent households, which will further exacerbate their situation. And we can't answer this question and take a clear stand without looking at various aspects of, for the issue at hand. As discussed in this podcast and on other platforms, we have to consider fiqhi implications. So based on fiqh, there are instances where abortion is permissible and instances where it's prohibitive. So supporting abortion when it's prohibited is not an option for Muslims. And on the other hand, restricting it and removing abortion when it is permissible is problematic as well. We have to look at the Islamic ideology, which demands us to consider the right of the fetus and the mother. Islamically, do we have this concept of my body, my choice? Can I do whatever I want to my body? Can I just take drugs? Can I opt for suicide? Can I get a sex change operation? Islam provides us a very clear reference. We also have social considerations that Muslims have to address. For example, what does marriage look like? What does family look like? Uh, what about free mixing? Little groundwork's been done in combating the hookup culture. And this law, if it's overturned, will primarily increase single parent households. Last but not least, we have to address the political construct. How do we reconcile Islamic governance in the modern nation state? Who is punishing? What's the nature of the punishment? And can we give the state the authority to punish women? So Roe versus Wade 
really represents a failure of Muslims to have their own political agenda to treat systemic issues and independently assert an opinion for abortion. Dr. Tassin, one last question. Can you tell me when is a fetus viable? At what point can a fetus uh, live, say if the, if the baby is premature, uh, outside of a mother's body? When um, discussing the issue of abortion, it's really important to also touch upon viability. I think that this has been debated um, as to when is the exact point that a fetus becomes viable. Viable meaning it's able to survive outside the womb of the mother. And those um, babies that are born uh, at the end of second trimester typically still will have significant problems and will need a lot of medical care. Uh, first trimester, you don't see survival. No baby can um, live if it's born in the first trimester. The second trimester is typically between weeks 13 to 26. Uh, they call weeks 20 to 25 as periviable. And typically, um, a baby that's born by five months, which is uh, at 23 weeks, has a 5% chance of survival. And practically all of these surviving infants will have significant morbidity, both uh, in terms of developmental problems, intellectual problems. Um, so it's safe to say that although viability occurs by about week 23, um, it's still associated with significant problems. Jazakallah khair, Dr. Tassin. I think that clarifies a lot for our listeners. Now turning to you, Ustad Iyad Hilal. I'm going to ask you today about the Islamic verdicts. We want to explore the details and how the different schools of thought, the madahibs, understood this issue. Do you see yourself as someone who supports a liberal opinion or someone who supports a conservative opinion? Where do you place yourself in this discussion about the social issue of abortion? I don't consider myself... I don't give myself this label, liberal or conservative, because the Islamic faqah does not function within this frame. We all of us believe that Allah is Malik al-Mulk. We belong to Allah. Allah belongs what is in the heavens and what is in the earth. In another ayah, say that my salah and my rights and my life and my death belong to Allah. Third ayah, inna To Allah we belong and to him we return. So we are created by Allah. We should live according to the message that he sent. He sent his messages through different messengers throughout the history, concluding by Muhammad وسلم, which was the last and the final message, which is the message of Islam that provided us also, not just with aqidah and with system of worship, Allah and Minhaj, a, myth, a methodology. And if we move to the Islamic book, it's very diverse. Even within the same madhab, as we will see when we talk about the views about abortion. The jurists, when they discuss this issue of abortion, they didn't discuss it from uh, any background other than usul uh, frame. How to understand the text, how to apply it, how to interpret this ayah, how to inter interpret that hadith, how can we reconcile between these two ayat? So there are ayat and the hadith, and then how to navigate to this. So can you lay out the general Islamic opinions uh, that come from the madahib on the issue of abortion? 
if we notice the fuqaha in general, I'm now talking, the Maliki fiqh is the most strict fiqh in this mas'ala. By mas'ala, you mean uh, the issue, so the issue of abortion. Yes, and the Hanafi fiqh is more lenient. But neither the Maliki jurists nor the Hanafi jurists started their, the starting point for the, their discussion was not, I want to be hard, I want to be harsh, or I want to be lenient. I want to be very conservative, or I want to be very liberal. Their start, starting point was how to understand the text. That's why you will find out among the Maliki camp, some jurists permitted abortion. And you will have from the other camp, the camp that permitted abortion, you will find out some jurists that prohibited abortion, totally and completely like the Maliks. As an example, Imam Ghazali is from the Shafi'i Fiqh, and the Shafi'i Fiqh permitted the abortion, yet Ghazali said it's haram from day one. So none of them thought of it from liberal or conservative. Let me be more conservative or let me be more, more liberal in this. All of them started their discussion from the Fiqhi uh, point of view. Sheikh Al-Qardawi, from among the contemporary scholars who is considered, quote-unquote, very liberal, if you read what he wrote about abortion, he was very strict also. So that, that, this is not the point. I think that's a really interesting point. So scholars do not make hukum shari'i, do not derive hukum based on a social or political viewpoint. They derive hukum shari'i based on their usul, based on the, the way by which they access the text. So they're only interested in the text. But then you've just outlined uh, two pretty broad opinions. You've got the Maliki opinion, which suggests that it's haram from conception. And then you've got the Hanafi, and I think you mentioned the Shafi opinion, which uh, largely argues it's mubah. What accounts for such a range of difference when it comes to the issue of abortion? Actually, I was reading a paper written by Dr. Muhammad Naim Yassin. We studied with him comparative fiqh about abortion. He noticed the following points also. This is part of the frame. There is no clear evidence in this subject, neither in Quran nor in Sunnah. He says what we have ayat preventing killing other, other people, tahrim al-qatl, the homicide crime, or killing your children. There are ayat and hadith talk about the development of the embryo. But we need to know that Quran Kareem is not meant to be a book. Medicine, the ayat are very general, and we need to understand them also based on the medical information we have nowadays. So that when we make the tafsir of the ayat and the ahadith, we need to understand them within the medical information as long as we know we are sure about, about this information. There are ahadith assigned certain monetary compensation for uh, this crime. If someone is causing a lady to abort her baby, this is a crime. No, no doubt about this. Someone hit a lady or, uh, or gave her something to drink and caused this to cause her to abort her baby, this is a crime. There is a ghurra or a free a slave. It's a, it depends on the situation. What about a husband and wife want to abort want this abortion for a specific reason. Does it apply or not? So he concludes, Dr. Muhammad Naim Yassin concludes saying, إِذَنْ الْمَسْأَلَةُ تَدْخُلُ فِي دَائِرَةِ الْإِشْتِهَادِ Then the mas'ala is within the sphere of ishtihad. 
So that's why he said there you have so many differences among the jurists in this masala. Now, there is also another point Muslims didn't face before, which is the fetus defect. If the fetus is defect, should you abort it or not? At that time, there, there was no way to, to see if the fetus is defect or not. Now they can. But at that time, what they can do at the best, if there is a midwife, can tell you if the fetus is alive or not. It can be, maybe, at a certain time. But no one can would tell you that if there, if there is defection in, in, in the embryo, in the fetus. Okay, that's fascinating. I want to explore the different opinions in greater depth. But can we regard the fetus to be a fully-fledged human being? Uh, what does the Sharia say about this? Al-Ahnaf uh, said, since it has the ruh, the life, the vital signs, in one way it is, in another way it is not. One way it is because it has a life. It's not because it's still attached to the mother, so part of the mother, so not independent. This is why, actually, if you look at the Ahkam Sharia regarding the fetus or the embryo in Islam, you'll see uh, the following. On the cattle footer, you don't pay it of, uh, on the fetus at all. However, if the lady gives a birth even at the last day of Ramadan to a baby, boy or girl, as long as it is before Salat al-Eid, you will pay Sadaqat al-Fitr for that baby. No birth, no Sadaqat al-Fitr. Regarding the inheritance, if the father dies or whoever dies, and this fetus is, has, would be considered one of the inheritors, you don't give, you don't divide the inheritance until the birth is done. So they don't give him the share of the inheritance in advance. Oh yeah, there is a human being, so let's give him the share. No, you don't give that. Not because you don't know whether she, the baby, baby will be a boy or a girl, because at certain situations, the gender doesn't matter. Certain situations. In certain situations, it does. In certain situations, they, they inherit equally, as we know in the inheritance. So you put the distribution on hold until the birth. So it means that the fetus is not full-fledged human being. Jazakallah khair. Now let's move on to uh, the specific opinion. So you've outlined the general. I want to now drill down into the specific. If you say that, and if it's argued that abortion is a matter that is subject to ishtihad because there is not a clear-cut series of texts on the issue, how did the different madhahibs come to their views? Let's start with the Hanafi school. Majority of the Hanafi school says it is permitted before the life. They define the life or the ruh after date 120 because of the hadith of Bukhari, which we can maybe later on talk about. Uh, but it has to be with the agreement of both husband and wife. Ibn Abdin, one very well-known Hanafi jurist, he said two phenomena, Zuhur al-A'da wa takhalluq when the Fetus starts having this formation, start taking certain shape. Does, can you identify the organs or not? Now, when did they discuss it? They discussed it in the, again, if there is a crime happened. If there is a crime happened and the abor- a woman aborted, does it look like a human being or just a piece of flesh? So he said there is a debate that it is haram after this. 
Some people said, no, it's haram after the ruh. So this debate is within the Hanafi school. But also Ibn Abdin said some Hanafi jurists prohibited abortion. The Maliki school, they say that the abortion is not allowed from day one. And what is the day one? Once the semen is there and you see the uterus of the lady kept on it, you can't get it out. Even before the plantation, even before it reaches to the quote-unquote rahim the wall of the womb. But Al-Lakhmi, very well-known Maliki jurist, he said it is allowed as long as it is within the first 40 days. You see the cross-reference between this. One Hanafi jurist said it's haram, one Maliki jurist said it's allowed. And they said that the Hurma, as Al-Qadda Abu Bakr ibn al-Arabi said, it's, it, it, is at, it comes at different levels. He said the lowest level, he said, which is even actually it's not haram, if there is no, if the semen didn't reach its place. They call it al-azil. That's not haram. But he said after that, uh, once the uterus kept the semen, that's haram. More, more haram is if it started developing its shape, which may be after 40 days, 42 days. And then it's more haram after 120 days when the ruh comes into the body. The Shafi'i school, very much similar to the Hanafi school. They say it is permitted before the life, before the ruh, with the exception of Imam al-Ghazali. He corresponded to the Maliki view, said it's haram. The same thing regarding the Hanbari school, very much similar, the same. It is permitted within the first 40 days, not the 120. The only difference is the Hanbari is restricted to 40 days. The others said until day 120. But Ibn al-Jawzi, a Hanbali jurist, said it's haram. Ibn Qudama, very well-known Hanbali jurist, was not clear on this masala. He talked about it while talking about the blood compensation. Is, does it take the shape of a human being or not? Ibn Hazim also is not clear. He said, first of all, before four months, 120, it's not killing. It's not homicide. But he said, after that, if there is abortion, again, someone caused a lady to abort. If the, the aborted body doesn't look like it has a human shape, then you have ghurra. If it has, then you have dia. The difference for them, to him, in the ghurra, in the first case, if it has no shape whatsoever, the ghurra goes to the mother, not to the inheritor. If it tells you that this is body with ruh with everything, but it's dead, then it goes to the inheritors. Why, Ibn Hazim, he said, in the first case, I consider it as part of the, human, of the woman's body. These are some, the, by the way, the Abadi and Jafari school, they say it's haram. All stage, very much similar to the Maliki. Okay, so we have a range of opinions there from Just a range uh, of opinions. This is the very diverse, even within the same method. I mean, that's very interesting. And you've raised there a discussion which has been raging on social media. And of course, that's not the best place to have these discussions. But some argue that the evidence for 120 days is very limited and it can only be for a specific reason before 120 days. And some have argued, some contemporary scholars have argued that the 40 days limit is the strongest opinion, they say. 
can you first just spell out or give explain the evidence behind the two dates? Okay. Like we mentioned, there is no clear-cut evidence. There are certain ayat talk about the embryo development, and there are two hadiths, or more than one, two hadiths, talking about also the stages or the embryo goes through. And if we look at the ayah, one ayah, Surah Al-Mu'minun, وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ سُلَالَةٍ مِنْ طِينٍ ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَاهُ نُطْفَةً فِي قَرَارٍ مَكِينٍ ثُمَّ خَلَقْنَا النُطْفَةَ عَلَقَةً فَخَلَقْنَا الْعَلَقَةَ مُضْغَةً فَخَلَقْنَا الْمُضْغَةَ عِظَامًا فَكَسَوْنَا الْعِظَامَ لَحْمًا ثُمَّ أَنْشَأْنَاهُ خَلْقًا آخَرَ فَتَبَارَكَ اللَّهُ أَحْسَنُ الْخَالِقِينَ and we created the human from a clay. That's reference to Adam Adam was created out of clay, as we know. But after that, then became Nutfa in a very lodging place. Nutfa is the mixture, as mentioned in Surah Al-Insan, a mixture between the semen and the egg. After the egg fertilizes, it starts immediately developing, even in its way to reach to the to the uterus through the, the tube, valve tube. During this, it will already grow. So this is the nutfa during this stage. It will need maybe seven days or so to reach to its destination since the conception and until it it is attached to its place. And then I says, it will become a clot when it will be attached to the uterus or to the womb. And from that, there will be little lump of flesh. And here is the difference. One translation says, and we made out of that little lump of flesh bones. Another translation, then we developed the lump into bone and we made from the lump bones and we cover the bones with flesh. Because actually, the mudra does not develop into quote-unquote bones, so the fetus will tend to be bones, and then after that, it will be covered by flesh. I wrote Tafsir Surah Al-Tariq. I consulted some doctors. They told me the development goes hand in hand. Some cells of the fetus develop to tend to be a productive system. Some will develop to tend to be the nerve system. Some will develop to be digestive, some will develop to be bones, and some will develop to be flesh. So they will go hand in hand, the development. But the ayah says, And then after that, we will develop him, we'll pour him to another creation. So there is no time frame. There is hadith, now let's come to the hadith. We have hadith in Sahih Bukhari, which all of them almost focus their discussion on. It says the matter of the creation of human being is put together into the womb of the mother in 40 days. And then he becomes a clot of thick blood for similar period, 40 days. And then a piece of flesh for similar period, another 40 days. Then Allah sends an angel who is ordered to write four things. He is ordered to write down 
uh, his deeds, his livelihood, his date of death, and whether he'll be blessed or which wretched religion. And then the soul is breathed into him. So the soul will be breathed after 120 days. So, so they said before 120 days, it's not human, it's okay. After 120 days, it has the ruh. Now, I'm not talking about exception. If there is a threat to the life of woman, uh, the mother or not. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a neutral abortion. So you're, you're saying, just to spell it out, you're saying that before 120 days for this, for these scholars, it is mubah, it is permitted? Yes, the majority say it is mubah. The Hanbali says it is 40 days. The Malik, of course, from day one, it's haram. And so this, what seems to be the case today is, at least there is a dominant opinion in the Muslim community that it's haram with exceptions. This is what comes yes, through yes, with many of scholars. I mean, would you, how would you frame? Yeah, let, let, let me uh, keep this on hold and, uh, sure. at the end so that we'll have a general idea about it. Sure. Now, there is hadith in Sahih Muslim does not talk about 40 and 40. It talks about 40 days. But the translators, unfortunately, translated it to mean 40 and 40 and 40. You know, they translated it into this. If you search Sahih Muslim, it's the first hadith in Kitab al-Qadr, the Book of Destiny. The constituents of one of you are collected for 40 days in his mother's womb in the form of blood, after which it becomes a clot of blood in another period of 40 days. Then it becomes a lump of flesh, and 40 days later, Allah will send his angel with instructions connecting uh, concerning four things. Now, it shouldn't be like this. The hadith didn't say this. Hadith said what it means, the constituents of one should are collected for 40 days in the mother's womb, in the form of blood, then becomes a clot of blood in the same period, and then becomes a lump of flesh in the same period, in the same 40 days. So we talk about 40 days, which will begin after that, the formation fetus. So it's not 120 days, but rather 40 days after 40 days will have the formation of the fetus. I listened to a translation of Dr. Hatim al-Hajj. He said, he said that you have to reconcile. He said, it's very difficult for a doctor to accept that what was mentioned, uh, what the commentators gave regarding the hadith of Sahih Bukhari. And he is more into what the Zamalkani said in commenting on the hadith of Sahih Muslim that this most likely is the case. 40 days, because there is another hadith actually, the Sahih Muslim. After 40 days, 42 days, it says the angel will come and uh, breathe in the, the ruh. So I would give more value to the hadith reported by Sahih Muslim. It's not that I'm against, I'm biased against Bukhari. No, you have, both of them are reports. You have to reconcile. And the Sahih Muslim is very much, let me say, consistent with the ayah does not give time frame. It says, and then we formed it into another creature uh, without time frame. If you make a search in the internet about the shape of the fetus, it will start identify, uh, identifying itself more after almost 
this the beginning of the second trimester. The first trimester uh, doesn't, which is the first 13 weeks, it doesn't give you a clear shape. So the khalq akhar happens after that. So here, Hadith Sahih Muslim is more consistent with the meaning of the ayah, which is which does not give us a specific time frame in days, but rather in stages. So the focus of the, the fuqaha is on the Hadith al-Bukhari, I noticed. So they'd say the first 40, the second 40, the third 40. Haram after the third 40, they agree on this. They differed uh, and they agreed on the first 40. They differ in the second uh, 40, as we'll see in the contemporary scholars. Because I'm, maybe we need, it's good to go over the views of some contemporary scholars in this masala. So let me ask you about the contemporary scholars and what they say on this issue. But I think you've clearly laid out the difference of opinion. So you've got the hadith in Bukhari, which seems to indicate that life begins after 120 days. And then you've got the hadith or a couple of hadith in, in Sahih Muslim, uh, which uh, seems to argue that it is, uh, it is 40 days. And there is uh, some discussion about how to reconcile these two sets of hadith. And, and um, uh, you've laid out that some scholars sided with Bukhari and some scholars sided with uh, with Muslim on this issue, uh, so let's uh, let's talk about the contemporary scholars. What do they say about this? We know that the Maliki school is the more strict school. First of all, it tells you that once the semen is there, you cannot get it out. Abortion is haram after the conception, which is after maybe the first week. Why? His justification is it is a living being that's it's attached there, it's settled there. It is, which is actual, I saw that this is the argument of some scholars. I was listening to body scholar. He was saying, yani he brought up the debate. He said, but before 120 days, this is a potential to be a human being. So there is life. The, the, the fetus has the right to be saved. How can you just terminate the life of the fetus? That's one point. And the second point, he said that the Islamic text builds certain rules for the fetus, as an example, if a person causes another lady to abort her baby, Rasulullah did not ask how old is the baby, how old is the pregnancy. Is it 40? Is it 60 days? Just immediately, she, she, she aborted this because of an attack. Now this is offense. So he assigned certain uh, punishment, a certain blood compensation. So this is their argument. This is a living human life, so it must be protected. Sheikh Mustafa Zarqa, rahimahullah, he said the first 40 days it is allowed, but it's makruh. And it is kruh tahriman in the second 40 days before the 120. It is haram after 120. Makruh tahriman in the Hanafi jurist, it means haram. Mention this. Don't understand me that it is makruh tahriman, that it's okay. And then he says that. Al-Ijhad غير جائز بعد نفخ الروح It's not permitted after breathing the soul. And he said we need to differentiate between breathing the ruh and between the life. He said نفخ الروح means that us is getting into another stage. But the life can be there before the ruh. He said of course abortion is permissible if there is a threat to the woman's life. It's not permitted 
for any defect in the, for the embryo. Now, if we move to Dr. Muhammad Saeed Ramadan al Bouti, he said an ijhab, he's had a very unique view. I liked it in one way. He said al ijhab jaiz fi awal The first 40 days, it's permitted because the takhalluk, the formation didn't start yet. He says at takhalluk, and he quoted the Hanafi jurist, if you have, you can see a finger or an eye or one of the organs. And he said al-ijhad is haram because of zina. He is considering if allowing her to, to abort, you are rewarding her if she committed zina. Different than the rape. There is difference between rape and zina. So he says al-ijhad haram even if it is because of zina, not because of rape, even in the first 40 days. And this is actually now so many people who promote in the U.S., they don't want to have any restriction on their sexual life. As I mentioned once, it went, the sexual relationship went beyond the girlfriend and boyfriend relationship. In the girlfriend and boyship relationship, boyfriend relationship, there is commitment. They can live as boyfriend and girlfriend for years. But now you have a high, a junior high students with no commitment. They just want to try it for the fun of it. And then after the pregnancy, oh, we don't want, we are not ready for the, to have baby. So we want to abort, want the abortion. So the abortion is very much in one aspect, not in all of it, in one aspect linked to the sexual lifestyle. So Dr. Ramadan al-Bouti says, if it is out of zina, it's haram. Sheikh Yusuf al-Qardawi says, the default ruling is the prohibition. I said, it is common understood that Sheikh al-Qardawi is quote-unquote liberal, is one of those modernists, when you study his view about abortion, he says, the default is the prohibition. But the hurma moves, it can be high as long based on the age or the development of the fetus. In the first 40 days, it's less prohibited and it can be permitted for some excuses. After the first 40 days, the hurma, the prohibition is more stronger. It cannot be except for excuses approved by a jurist. And after that, it will be even more after 120 days. These are some views of the contemporary scholars. I said that the Abadi say it's haram period. The Jafari say it's haram period in any stage. Even the debate for the, for the hazardous threat for the mother, they debated it. Some said, no, even with this case, it's not allowed. Some of them said it's allowed. And each one of them brought their argument. Again, because there is no clear-cut text in this masala. And I consider if there is serious threat for the mother, it's allowed. But the doctor will tell you. It's not her or her husband. And if there is, if the doctors tell us that there is defection in the embryo, it's not that the, the embryo will lose the, the sight, vision, or no. It, it can. There are situations where you most likely will not live a viable life. I would say also in that case, with the consultation of uh, doctors, it's permitted. Okay, I mean, you've raised a number of issues. There are variables there as to how or when it's permitted to abort a fetus. But it, it was, at the end there, I'm slightly confused. So if you're saying, or if a scholar is arguing that it's mubah until 120 days, generally speaking, it's mubah, then of course the reasons would not 
apply because Mubah means any reason one can for any reason for any reason okay I'm so said no there must be reason but there is no need there is no evidence for a reason so I said 120 days because the ruh will be breathed in, in, in that after 120 days after 120 that's days. their justification just so we can complete the discussion for those who say there is a need for a reason or for those who say after 120 days there is a need for an exception what's what sort of exceptions and reasons did scholars mention? I would say if there is a serious threat for the woman's life, and I'm not a doctor to tell you at what stage of pregnancy there can be a threat. A doctor needs to decide. And there can be no two pregnancies alike. No two women are identical. The doctor will tell you, wait a minute, this case is a threat to the mother. That's one point. The second point if there is, they call it, if the pregnancy happens outside the womb, it will be a threat. That's from day one, or I don't know which they will figure out. Once they see that it is outside the womb, it's allowed. Don't wait. Now, regarding the deficiency, if there is a problem in the embryo, again, I don't know when the doctor can tell, but I was watch, listening to a doctor. He says, once we try to do a test, to get the fluid and implanted. He says the implantation needs three weeks. He said, after that, the 40 days are passed. Sheikh Musaf Zarqa's view was, because there, uh, he was in the video, saying that even though if there is a problem in the fetus, it's not allowed to have abortion. Very strict also. Although he is known of quote-unquote liberal. He's allowing everything. No, it's not, that's not his mindset, actually. I studied fiqh with him too, Sheikh Musaf Zarqa, rahimahullah. He's very strict in that he's okay if there is a real hazardous threat to the mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, other schools, even in the Hanafi and the Abadi, I noticed this in the Hanafi and in the Abadi. Some people said it is permitted. Why? Because the life of woman or mother is for sure, it can be saved. The life of the fetus is probable. So now you are balancing between probable life versus Life, we are sure that will be saved. Okay, let's save the mother because we are sure about, about this and sacrifice the probable life, which is the life of the people. Other jurists said, no, both of them are probable. So we don't sacrifice any one of them. What's the solution? Wait until both of them die? That's, this is not, this is not, uh, can't be within the objectives of the Sharia. I would say if there is a threat to the life of the mother, she is allowed to have an abortion. That's even after 120 days. For any At any stage of pregnancy, if there can be a cesarean session so that the, the, the fetus will be taken out and live with... I was talking to a doctor. She was telling me that nowadays, five months, the, the fetus can live viable life. Medicine now is improving. So if you can do it, then there is no need, of course, for the abortion. You are saving the life. And the five, five, five months uh, advanced, very advanced uh, age. I would say because the ayah of Surah Al-Mu'minun says, آخر, and then we developed the fetus into another creation. Al-Quran Karim didn't come to teach us medicine. So there must be another value for this information. What is the impact of this expression? Why? 
is it going to be another creation after all of this? I would say the impact of this is in the abortion. So once the fetus gets into this stage, it's not allowed. Before that, it's allowed. For reason or for no reason. Allah alam. And just to clarify, when this stage arrives differs from scholars to scholar, uh, 40 days or 120 days. It's a fascinating picture you paint of the fiqh, actually, because I'm surprised at how how diverse the opinions are, but also how much scholars historically and contemporary, but how much scholars have engaged with this discussion and their views. I'm just intrigued. Let's go back to the point about if we were to take the view that it's mubah, and okay. until until in your case, until five, six, seven weeks, or in some in the Hanafi scholars' case, 120 days. And by saying it's mubah, we're saying it's for any reason. How about then if a couple decided that they want to abort the baby because of economic reasons, which I understand many decisions. I mean, we can of course say that there are there are deep social problems in the United States, but Many who abort their children in the U.S. and across Europe and across the world probably do so for economic reasons. We know the ayah which says, do not kill your children uh, for fear of poverty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sets our risk. Should that be or can that be a reason within the reasons before, of course, the before it becomes haram? Can that be a reason? First of all, we can't consider the fetus as a child. It has the potential to be a child, but still not a child yet. So I would not apply the ayat uh, that period of life to that cycle. So the economic reason from the very beginning, from the very beginning, uh, husband and wife can tell if their economic situation is okay or not. And according to Sheikh Mustafa Zarqayas, it is allowed. He says, even if there is a new job, she has to move from one place to another. As long as it is within that frame, it is a reason. After the 40 days, in the second 40 days, which he says it's makro tahrimah, which is haram. Ustad, we've had a really fascinating discussion today about uh, the ahkam sharia. I wonder whether you need a certain level of maturity to understand uh, the complexities of the sharia. I mean, it seems to me that in today's world, uh, Muslims tend to look for very easy answers. You've written about usul al-fiqh, and um, uh, the more you read uh, your book and, and other books on the subject, you realize that uh, this is Sharia is complex, and uh, the development of Sharia is complex, and and I suppose that needs a certain mindset in the way we approach Islam. Part of the dynamism of usul al-fiqh gives us the tool to have this uh, discussion and have this navigation of the text going back and forth, asking, answering, asking back, answering back. All of this happens, alhamdulillah, within the, while you're utilizing usul al-fiqh and the uh, method of interpreting the text, alhamdulillah, and this one is, is one feature of the Islamic fiqh. There is no clear-cut text, but they elaborated on, uh, at times, the objections of sharia, at times to the implicit meaning of the text, at times to the secondary meaning of the text, so that they produce, uh, at the end, we have this, this diversity in the, in the, in the view, in the fiqh. And again, how to, which view you need to, up, to apply, 
in the absence of the Islamic political system, it is left to the individual. As you raise that, so imagine if we had, inshallah ta'ala, a caliphate, and the caliphate decided, the caliph decided that he's not going to centralize these fiqhi opinions, especially those opinions which are not are not based on clear-cut evidence, they're based on ishtihad. And so he left it to the different regions, the wilayat, to make decisions about uh, about so maybe a region which is North Africa and Maliki, they would apply the strict haram, it's haram, and in a region which is Hanafi, Pakistan, they would apply the hukum of Mubar until for 120 days and anything in between. Could you foresee a situation where you would have, like in the United States today, because, of course, you've got the red states and the blue states, and those states that are conservative are now pushing for, of course, it's not, they're pushing for an opinion which is closer to the Maliki view. Can you imagine a situation like that in in the world of Islam? The difference is, still, there is difference there. Hmm. So the division is based on liberal versus conservatives. So the blue states are more liberals, the red states are more conservatives. Hmm. So there is a division. That's why some people say, wait a minute. And actually, I was not expecting the Supreme Court to take this decision. I was expecting the Supreme Court will have a, a compromise. And I expect also that the case will land to the Supreme Court later on. Because the trigger law is now challenged in many states. So they didn't solve the problem. Now, in, in Islam, I cannot predict what the situation will be, what is the best solution to, to adopt. But in this case, there can be sort of discussion among them because you don't want to create a division where if a woman lives in, in Maliki dominant school uh, area, she will move to another Hanafi school area just to commit a, to, to abortion and then go back. Here now, in this case, by the way, in Texas, they are trying to criminalize yes, even the moving. lady if she yeah. go, leaves Texas and has abortion and goes back to Texas. Yes. Yeah. And this is why, actually, Kavanaugh, conservative, but he said that the right to travel cannot be banned in, his, uh, in, in the way he wrote his view in, in, in the verdict. You cannot ban and criminalize the travel, answering in advance what Texas is, is saying. So you don't want this polarization if you have Khilafah. How? I cannot tell you uh, what needs to be done because, again, Al-Fuqa is practical. What the situation will be then, go with it. But I suppose then what you're arguing is that there should be a, a decision made by the caliph. Uh, to... I don't know. Maybe yeah. he will see that it is not the right decision to make. Just leave it to the regional judges. Maybe. I'm not sure. Yes. So I cannot assume the, a scenario. We'll start Iyad Hilal and Dr. Tassin before you. Jazakallah That was a really fascinating discussion. Alhamdulillah. I hope that it will add some value.